0: the condition that they bought them. And then for 45 minutes, they're building up to this magical, you know, reveal. It's the big reveal. It's This is the transformation that took place. And then all of a sudden they take you on a tour and you're like, oh man, I want to live places where property is worth $100,000 and we can do this kind of thing. And and you get jealous and then you're making plans to move to the middle of nowhere, Kentucky, so you can pull this off. But I love the reveals I love the way things were and the transformation and then you can kind of see the process of how they got from here to there. I love that. And, and we see this in Jonah, that, the same kind of thing. We see Jonah... Hopefully, you know, we want to, we've said in the past, I've said in the past two weeks, Jonah's kind of an idiot. And, uh, and we see this story about a prophet, which is a story about a prophet, but it is actually a story about you and I, because we can find ourselves in Jonah. But we're, we're hoping for a transformation in Jonah. We're hoping to see him change. And today, and in chapter 2 We start to see some kind of transformation in Jonah. We begin to have these reveals in his life. And today I want to look at the three reveals that we see in Jonah because I think that they reveal stories about you and I or things about you and I that need to come to the light. And so today in your bulletins you have blanks, And I was going to tell you what to fill in the blanks now, but we'll get there. We'll keep you in suspense. The first blank for you is the first reveal we see in Jonah is that the story reveals the heart's posture. And it starts right in the beginning, right in verse 17, as you're reading it in chapter 1, verse 17. It says, now the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days. And right then and there, there's a gr- there's two groups of people. There's a group of people that go, no way. There's no way in God's green earth that a fish would swallow a person and the person would live. There's no way. This story is now false, and I'm not going to believe it. And there's... Plenty of people who believe that, and that's the way it goes, because this worldview, and, and it's held to, says, I'm not going to believe in anything that is out of my realm of possibility, uh, and I'm going to check out instantly, because it, it couldn't happen, it never and, and therefore, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to read this story. In fact, you can go even further. If you keep going down this line, you, you, you could say, this is the problem with all of Christianity. You guys believe these fables and, and, and people getting swallowed by a fish and then living for three days inside the fish and then getting spit out. Y'all are a bunch of whack jobs. That's the line and how it goes. And I want to say, if you think being swallowed by a fish is weird, just keep turning the pages. It's, it, it gets stranger. Uh, but then there's the other side that says you read this and you instantly go, yep, that happened. The Bible says it, I believe it, and that absolutely settles it. And then there's the section of the side that you don't question anything that happens to you, and you have these two divides in, in, in reading the scripture. Either it is no way, or it's absolutely 100%. And what happens is those divides end up revealing a lot about what can happen in your life, Because if you go to this side and you say, there's no way anything supernatural happens. There's nothing that can happen supernaturally that I cannot explain, that I cannot take from my own sight, feel, and touch. Everything that happens in life, I have to be able to explain logically or else it never, ever happened. There's a problem with that. Can you see it? Because if you never think that anything could change through the power of God, then guess what? Nothing is going to change in your life. You will always be the way you are. If you say that God can't move, guess what? He won't move. If you say it's, it's the law of self-limiting yourself, if you say I'm never going to be able to lift 35 pounds, guess what? You're never going to be able to lift 35 pounds. If you say the Holy Spirit won't move, I'm, guess what? The Holy Spirit says the Holy Spirit won't move. The Holy Spirit is very polite. This is one of the camps that has. This is something that this text reveals. It reveals the posture of your heart. Can God move in your life or, or can't He? It's a question that each one of us has to solve. Can He move or can He not? I had this professor in, in seminary. Uh, he taught the Gospels, but this is the crazy thing about Dr. Thorson he did not believe in any of the miracles. Here's this man taught, teaching about Jesus, and and the, the class he taught was Jesus, Holy Spirit, and the church. It sounded like a curse word, but this is what he's taught. This was the name of his class. But in his teaching, his own personal belief, he couldn't grab on to any of the miracles. The only one he thought, of, the only one he took, was the resurrection. Everything else was just a fable. And I'm like, man, you have the belief, but you have no power in that belief. Because you don't believe that this story can change you, so you're just dead set in this way. I believe this man loves Jesus, but I don't believe that this man will ever be changed in, the, in, a, in a positive way because he won't allow it because he says nothing can ever change that I can't explain. Then there's the other side. That we get so trapped on defending everything that the text says, that it has to say this, and it has to mean this, and if it, and if you say otherwise, then you might as well take the whole thing and throw it in the garbage, because if you doubt one word, then you doubt the entire book. We see the problem with that. There's no room for metaphor. There's no room for poetry. There's no room for uh, any kind of transformation. And here's the other side to that, the other down part to that. We get so focused on defending the story that we never actually let the story talk to us. There are plenty of things in this text that are going to challenge your beliefs on whether or not things can happen. The fish in a man being swallowed by a fish is much of it. Because then there's the whole thing of raising people from the dead. And then there's the whole thing of your life being changed. And if you don't think that God has the ability to do something like this, we have some issues. You're going to have a limiting factor in your life and in your faith. The issue isn't whether the story is true or not. The issue is whether or not you think God can enter your story and change it. Is your story changeable? Or are you holding on to it with such a defense that you'll never allow God into your life to change it? So from whatever, whatever vantage point we enter, this story from verse 17 reveals the first step. It's our heart's posture. Can your heart be changed by God? Can your heart be made into flesh? As Ezekiel says, take this heart of stone and give you a, st- a heart of flesh. Can you be transformed or can you not be transformed? Did Jonah get swallowed by a fish? Text says it did. Okay, can we extract some meaning from it? Absolutely. We don't need to argue about whether or not it happened or not, because once we start arguing about whether or not it happened, we miss the point. The text says he got swallowed by a fish, and the Hebrew said it had to be a purple and pink fish, and then we it it had to look like a cartoon from Pinocchio, and so we're just going to keep going. And so this is what the story tells us. The tells us that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Your heart is revealed here can it change? the other things that this sto- the two other things that the heart this story reveals is this the story reveals what's at our core so Jonah is running from God remember he goes he goes somehow he leaves wherever he was he goes to Joppa he gets on a boat and goes a year's worth of travel the other direction because he wants to flee the presence of the Lord. This is where we find Jonah the man of God. Really not acting like a man of God. The prophet of God, not really wanting to be a prophet of God. He's running away from the presence of the Lord. Nineveh is where God was. Tarshish was where God wasn't. He's going to Tarshish. This is where we find Jonah. And then what happens? The storm comes. And everybody around him is freaking out. Throwing their goods into the water. They're trying to row back to shore. And where's Jonah? He's sleeping. He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. The pagan sailors are praying. The man of God is sleeping. The pagan sailors are saying, what are you running from? Oh, the God who created the sea. And they're going, what? This is your fault. They cast lots. Remember the story and hear this. And then Jonah says, I would rather be thrown overboard than go to Nineveh. And he gets his wish. And here's what happens. The fish says, and these are the three verses where the fish is mentioned in Jonah. So this part, it's about the fish. Everything else, it's about Jonah. This part's about the fish. And he says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. In my distress, I called to the Lord, And then verse 3, you hurled me into the depths. And what you see here is this prayer from Jonah over and over. And he's saying, Lord, you saved me. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. To the earth beneath, I was barred in forever. But you, Lord, brought me up from the pit. And so we start to see this sign of hope from Jonah, right? It's like, if the storm didn't get your attention... Perhaps the descent into the water would. Okay, maybe that didn't. How about inside the whale? Okay, Moby Dick has, has you now. So this, maybe you'll change. And this is the weird part of the story. Jonah ends up in the fish, and he prays this interesting prayer, and then he says amen, and then all of a sudden, bleh, he's up on the beach. It's a weird transformation. For three days and three nights, he was in this fish praying Here's a couple observations. If we look back at Jonah 1.3, Craig, can you throw that on the screen? I know I'm uh, throwing you for a loop here, but Jonah 1.3, there's some things that we need to keep in mind before we get to Jonah. Remember, this is revealing the core of who Jonah is. Jonah 1.3, but Jonah went, ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship for that port and paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. There's some ways to read into this. You can read into it as if he went down and found a boat that was going. He said, I want to go here. But there's also another way to read this within, within the languages where you could say Jonah went down to Joppa and chartered a boat, meaning he didn't want to wait for the next boat to, on his way to Tarshish. He wanted to get there as fast as possible. So today in our world, we have wheels up and net jets to kind of charter planes anytime you want. Here it was probably sail away or shove off or something like that. <laughs> where he goes, to the, he goes to the port and says, I want to pay for this boat to go to Tarshish. I don't care how much it costs. I will do this. So he's on a boat that he bought and paid for. So the first thing it shows us about Jonah, if this is the correct way to read the text, he was a wealthy, wealthy, wealthy man. A boat ride to Tarshish is not like a boat ride to Bainbridge or Bremerton. A boat ride to Tarshish would take one year to get there. Maybe if you're lucky. If the storms don't cause you to go to land because they didn't sail direct lines, they would go port to port. They never really got too far offshore, And so they would, if the storm come, they go to port, wait for the storm to leave and then they'd hop off and go again. It'd take about a year on a good weather cycle. So here's Jonah, I'm going to charter this boat For a year, and I want to run away from God. So Jonah is a man of means. He's a man of wealth. He has a ton of money because not only does he buy this boat, he can also get away from work for a year and he's not retired. He can say, I don't have to work. I've got enough money. I'm going to go to Tarshish, Maui of the day. And sit on the beach and drink my Mai Tai or whatever because I don't have to worry about this and I'm going to run from God. God wanted him to go to Nineveh. But Jonah, a man with many, many options, a man who's got wealth, he can afford different paths, he's got standing, he can say, no, I'm going to go away He doesn't have to go this way because he can afford to go the other way. He doesn't have to wait for a ship to get ready to go to Tarshish. He can say, I'll pay for that. Get get it ready. Let's go. He can buy a boat and go now. And as you trace this from Jonah's experience, you get to the end of chapter one and you see this man of many options winnowed down to a man with one option, overboard. Overboard. And so Jonah goes through this experience where the inner core of him is revealed where he says, I would rather die. And so he thinks he's going to die and he gets thrown over the boat and it's a rude awakening. Even that didn't work. So Jonah, a man with options, didn't work and now he finds himself in this suspended section between life and death. He's not dead. He's not really alive. He's stuck. And this storm and this fish expose what Jonah is really Made of. Remember what happened when the storm hit? The sailors began to chuck this cargo over. They said, we don't need this. And cargo is usually valued possessions. It could have been money. It could have been furniture. It could have been anything that somebody would want to transport from one place to another place. And so it had value. And what do we see the sailors doing? Because they value life, they're chucking over everything because something that is valuable when it comes to life or death now doesn't become as valuable anymore because usually you want to live. When our house uh, 10, 10 years ago was burning, it, I'm running through and I'm going, what is valuable? What do we take Uh, All I can reach was for my dirty clothes Because I needed clothes And so I I, I took those But you, you start to filter out What becomes valuable or not And in a moment of life or death You make your decisions Jonah didn't value anything He's sleeping The other people, they value life in the midst of the storm, what meant something that was worth what, what the things that meant the most to them was starting to threaten their very life and the ship was about to break up and the pagan sailors say, Toss it overboard. What the storm does change is what the storm does is change how much things are worth. Valuables become not valuable, and for Jonah the invaluable things become really valuable what the storm does and what the fish do is reveal who Jonah really is and what the storms do for us is they reveal what is at the core of us when we go through storms we are the, the it, they erode away the outer sections of our life and we begin to see what we actually value they begin to know, they begin to ebb away at you, and all of your, your, your facades, all of the things where you are uh, self-made, maybe you're a person of options, you go through a storm and all of a sudden your options are gone, and you be, begin to see the kind of person who you really are. In Mark 4, uh, there's this story about a, another guy on a boat, uh, it's in Mark 4, 35, and it's Jesus when he calms the storm. And in Mark 4, it says this, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowds behind, he took them on a boat. There there were also other boats with him. And then a furious squall came up. I don't know what that is, but I would love a weatherman to say it. A furious squall expected now. And the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. I'm trying to sleep. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who was this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. So here you have the disciples in a similar situation. The storms come up, and what does this reveal about them? Their lack of faith. All of a sudden, they can't follow Jesus' cue. He's sleeping in the boat, and they're freaking out. We see, and then Jesus wakes up, and he goes, "What, what, what are you guys doing? Don't you trust me? I was sleeping. Everything's going to be fine. I'm not going to abandon you. And so in the middle of their storm, what it reveals to us, what it reveals about you and I is sometimes in the middle of our storms, it shows us where our faith truly is. Is it in the person in our boat with us? Or do we start wigging out, trying to fix everything? Or are we able to trust during that time? Uh, Last night, and I'm still processing all of what happened last night, last night I met, went and met some friends that I met up in Malibu a couple years ago. We've been friends since, but we had dinner uh, out in Port Orchard. There was a man, he was there last, this last year, for those of you guys who went, uh, he was a quadriplegic named Todd, and he, he goes by the quadfather. It, it, is, it is awesome, and he is an awesome, awesome man. But we're at his house for dinner. There's a bunch of guys there, and I know two of them. And we're, we're, we're talking, and Todd starts sharing a little bit about his story. Todd was shot by a stray bullet when he was eight years old. And it, went, it hit the right spinal part of the column or whatever it's called where he is a quadriplegic, and he's been like that ever since. He has a wheelchair that is pretty awesome. and uh, But he controls it with using his chin because that's all he can move in his tongue. And Todd is an amazing, amazing man. He has a whole data systems business and he runs it all. But Todd will start talking. And listening to Todd talk, you think of someone who, who went through what he went through, you'd think he'd be what? Angry, bitter, hating the world, hating God, all of these things, but then you listen to Todd speak. And he goes, You know, I, and he shared a little bit, there's some people there that didn't know him last night, and he starts sharing more about his story. And he says, You know, he came to this point where he can be bitter at God, or he can lean into what God has for him. And so he'll say this line When I was in the hospital for a year, Jesus was the only one that held me when I was crying. And I'm listening to this guy going, Oh my goodness. The storm in his life reveals something about what is at Todd's core. And it's like, wow, you have this relationship with Jesus that no matter what happens, and he does not have an easy life, but in the middle of it, you see Christ. The storm has revealed something. There's another man there, and many of us might know him. His name's Tom. Tom, he goes to Bethany Greenlake, he stands out, he's super tall. Few years ago, three years ago, Todd was taken to the ho- Tom was taken to the hospital. Tom and Todd, I'll probably rearrange their names a few times. But Tom uh, goes to this hospital and he's got some sort of infection. He's not feeling well, and then he gets transferred because now they're like, "Oh, this is serious." Ends up, Tom goes through a com- complete sepsis. He was on his deathbed twice. And he's telling this story, and I was there with the story. I went and visited him on one of those deathbeds just to to check in with him, just to see him, be with his family. And Tom had this this line, And, and this is Tom now. He's missing some fingers. He doesn't have all of his toes. The sepsis has totally changed his life. But here's Tom. I'll be okay. I was on my deathbed once. It was all right. It was comfortable. He has this core about him that now, and Tom is a different person than he was four years ago. He's completely changed. He's more lighthearted. He's got the smile that will never go away because why? He's faced death and came back, faced it twice. The doctors didn't think he'd ever make it. And so you have Tom and you have Todd and I'm sitting there with me going, and the storms of my life are, okay. Tom said this line, if I died, I'll be fine. I'll be okay. If I get sick again now, uh, I'll be okay. Uh, he, I'll be fine. And it's not like, uh, I guess. He's like, no, I'll be fine. I'll work it out. Jesus will use it. Something will happen in the middle of this. He's now, They're now trying to figure out what they're going to do with his foot. He might lose his foot. And then he goes, it's going to make it different to ride a bike. But we'll get it. We'll figure this all out. Tom has revealed that the storm in Tom's life has etched away a lot of his outer side. And now what we see in Tom and what we see in Todd is the person of Jesus. Because their lives and their storms have revealed what is at their core. And it challenged me last night. I'm riding home on the ferry and I ran into you. And I'm sitting outside going, oh my goodness, and those were just two of the stories there. There's another guy whose son's got brain cancer that's terminal. There's another person that had bladder cancer, and now he's going through recovery. And it's like, man, and I'm just worried about something stupid. And they would never say that. If I told them what my storms are, they would be gracious and kind because they're more Jesus-y than me sometimes. And, <laughs> and, and they would say, you know, this is, what is, this is what the storm will reveal in you. And so I ask, you know, what is the storm revealing in you? We all go through storms. They happen. Is the storm showing what your life is built on? Is it showing you, like Jonah, that you're built around you and your own means and your own pride and your own this and your own status and your own checking account? Or is your storm revealing that at the center of who you are is the center, of is the, is the person Of Christ. Jonah finds out in the middle of the storms and in the belly of the fish, he had an opportunity to find peace and joy and confidence. And these are what the prayers point out, because in the middle of the fish stories of his life, in the middle of the storm in his life, he came face to face with the one constant that God will always be there. And at the center of his life had to be the one who commanded commanded the fish. Is what you build your life upon when, it, when the storms come, will it reveal the person of Christ at the core of who you are? This is what the storm does. It reveals our core. The last thing that the storm reveals is it reveals our rescuer. Notice Jonah's prayer. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, into the currents, and you swirled about me. All your waves and your breakers swept over me. For those of you who have been surfing, you know that feeling. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me and surrounded me, seaweed wrapped around my head. And that just seems like a funny picture, right? It's like Castaway with Tom Hanks with the seaweed around his head. And at the end of his prayer, he says this, my salvation comes from the Lord. Now, think of a storm in your life, whatever it was, minor or something major like my friends Tom and Todd. Were your prayers that eloquent? Did you did you use flowery language like that? Because there's there's three kinds of prayers. Two that we really see. There's Anne Lamont calls them help, thanks, wow. But here we in, in the Psalms we see thanksgiving which is like, thank you, Lord. We have Thanksgiving prayers, uh, usually at Thanksgiving, or at meals, we'll say, thank you for the food you have provided us, thank you for this. And the other set, the other type of prayer is help. When you pray your prayer of help, does it sound like, dear God, I have been ingested by a huge fish. There are smells that I don't wish upon anyone. I am soon going to pass through the digestive tract, and I'm not looking forward to that. Is that your kind of help <laughs> Is that your kind of help prayer? <laughs> or is it help and some expletives maybe? <laughs> what kind of help prayer do you have? Uh, there's the there's the one one person called it the blue and red prayer when you're driving down the highway and you didn't see the state trooper and then he's in your rearview mirror in the blue and red and you go please 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 <laughs> please please. It's the one you just got caught. There's a help prayer. That's not eloquent. That is barely a word. It's more of like a please, please, please. please. It's, it's just sounds at that point. It's it just please get me out of this. But what we find here in Jonah's prayer is that Jonah's prayers aren't original. Jonah's quoting Psalms. Uh, There's about 12 Psalms that he quotes Psalm 18, Psalm 31. The water sweeping over him is Psalm 69. Psalm 42 is the breaker. Psalm 142 is the salvation comes from the Lord. Now, here's the question that I've been wrestling with uh, through this passage Is the prayer from inside the fish one of help or one of thankfulness? Is Jonah thankful for the fish or does Jonah want out of the fish? I don't know. Uh, These are psalms of thanksgiving. But if I'm swallowed by a fish, I'm praying for help. And so this is the part where I don't understand what Jonah is getting at. Instead of praying for help, which is what you and I would do, he's praying, thank you. Thank you for this fish. Our assumption is that Jonah needs to be rescued from the fish. But I think what's going on here is something a little bit more subversive. We want to be rescued from storms and fish, right? That's normal. You don't want to go through them. No one does. It's completely fine. But the truth that we find with Jonah is that the fish and the storm is actually what is rescuing him. Could it be That the fish and the storms in our life are actually rescuing you from something else. And you're so much praying that you would get out of it that God is saying, No, I'm going to use this for something, and you really don't want to be on the surface of the water right now. Do you have the ability in the midst of your storm to say, God, thanks for the storm, thanks for the fish? It's sort of counterintuitive to what we think, right? We want ease, and we never think that God would give us something hard. But Jonah, in the belly of the whale, or the fish, says, Thank you for the fish. The story begins with two wills, God's and Jonah's. And what we find in the middle of it is those two wills can't live together. So by the time we get to the fish, Jonah's, the outside, him fighting against it, and it's short-lived because You'll see in chapter 4, he doesn't really stick with it, but what what he finds is that his will can't fight against what God wants anymore. It chips away this outer hard surface of his heart, and Jonah becomes a man who needs to be rescued from himself. Sometimes our storms reveal the same thing about you and I. We need to be rescued from ourselves. And what we find here in his prayer is that Jonah is rescued from his pettiness. He's rescued from his worldview where everything revolves around him. And so there's this kind of relief of, thank you, Lord. I'm out of it. How many of you have ever looking back at a storm or something that didn't go your way and you're able to see that, oh, actually that was protecting me? Many of you know, Carrie, in our story how there was a lot of times where we thought we were going here, but it didn't work out. We thought we were going here. That didn't work out. And there was 36 of those stories, right, of trying to figure out where God was leading us. And it's interesting to look back at all the closed doors That God put in our way whether it was a new house or whether it was something between us or something that we wanted or a different kind of job and it's interesting to look back and see wow if we would have gone there we would be in the middle of that scandal Oh, if we would have gone there, this this would have happened, and it would have been terrible. The whole time, we're in the belly of the fish, right? We're in the middle of the storm, praying that God would release us from the storm. But what we find on the other side of the storm is that the storm was actually protecting us from ourselves. The storm was protecting us from our own desires and our own selfishness and our own pettiness. And the storm brought us through, and now we can look back and go, wow, wow. Thanks for the storm. It sucked. Never is it nice to be in the belly of a fish. I've never been there, but I can imagine. Never is it nice to be in the middle of the storm. But the storm can save you for something. Jonah begins uh, being swallowed by a fish, and he's then taken to a whole new life. We resist the storm. We resist the fish. We avoid them. Yet, at the same time, We think something awful is coming from them, but in a strange way, the storm oftentimes saves you from something far worse than the storm itself. Sometimes the storms have the ability to save us. For many, we find ourselves in a storm, or some of us have been thrown overboard, and we find ourselves in a fish with all our might, we're trying to be free from it. But the lesson that God probably might have for you during this, I don't know, maybe an idea, instead of saying, Lord, take me out of the storm, perhaps the right way to go about it is say, Lord, thank you for the storm. I don't know what you're rescuing me from. Or sometimes it's, I don't know what you're, it's maybe you're not being rescued, but I don't know what you're going to use this storm for in the future. Remember, you have two hearts when you come to this story. Either you can be transformed or you cannot be transformed. And oftentimes the storms will transform you if you allow them to transform you. If you go into it bitter and you decide you're going to stay bitter, you will be bitter on the other side of the storm. If you go into the storm and you say, Lord, thank you for the storm. May it expose something in me that needs to be changed. And you come along the side, and God comes alongside of you and says, this is some things that need to be adjusted here. And the storm can change you. Whatever your storm may be, perhaps it's inviting you to a different way of life. What is the storm revealing in you today? Is your storm revealing a hardness of heart? Is your storm revealing something where you say, God will never work? No way, I'm stuck here. Fatalism, fatalistic, whatever the right word is there. Is that what the storm's revealing in you? Could the storm maybe be your rescuer? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in the middle of the storms, you reveal to us you. Everything about you. That in our storms, we aren't left to drown. You're with us. In our storms, we're not left to our own devices. In fact, they chip away at our own devices, and so we're left only with you. And so, Lord, for my friends who are here today that are going through it, jobs, losses, maybe some gains, and confusion, um, some depression. Lord, whatever the storms may be, Maybe the storms are hidden and we put on a facade that everything's okay, but underneath we are going through it. Lord, all of those. Father, we, we ask for your presence in the middle of those places. Lord, I ask for strength for those who are going through those storms. Lord, I ask for faith For those who are going through those storms. Lord, may the storms reveal in us the character of who you are. And may we get to a place, and it takes time, but may we get to this place where it's not either or or that side's wrong, this side is right, but the question comes what is God going to do in this? May we see you in our storms. And may we be moldable in order to find you in these places. Father, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.